Welcome to A Drink with a Friend. I'm Seth Haynes. And I'm Tish Oxenrider. So, Tish, what are you drinking today? It's a pretty basic uh, Earl Grey. Just plain old Earl Grey tea because I needed some caffeine. We're out of mm. coffee around here and I didn't feel like walking mm. to the coffee shop to get more. I probably will this afternoon, but I like Earl Grey, so I'm drinking it this morning. Ha- have you watched Inventing Anna? Uh, no, but you told me about it and I need to. Yeah, you need to. She she okay. always, whenever somebody's acting like trying to call her on the carpet, she says one of two things. She either says... Uh, why do you create so much drama? Or she'll say, oh, you're so basic. So <laughs> you are right now, uh, yeah. you, you, Anna Sorkin would call you basic. I'm okay with that. So I embrace basic. basic. I'm very, very basic in many parts of my life. And I have no shame in that. Um, and in fact, I'll probably bring that up more than once today with where we're going today. Um, so yeah. well, how about you? What are you drinking? Okay, Is it basic? I yeah, it's very basic. I am just drinking straight up Smarbucks. Yeah, there you go. Oh, you're more basic than word. I am. I, I would say. It. Yeah, I'm totally basic. It's Keurig coffee. Uh, tastes like cinder and ash. Everything that you would expect out of a good cup of Starbucks. Yeah, um, yeah. nice it, and burned. just a little bit more watered down. Yeah, it's a, it's a little yeah. bit more watered down because it comes from the Keurig. But I'm not complaining about that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, good. All right. Well, cheers. So anyway, <laughs> cheers for our all. midday uh, I hope, caffeine hits. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of hope that everybody out there is uh, drinking something better than uh, Starbucks slash, yeah, uh, you know, just basic Earl Grey. Yeah, same. But that's okay but, if you aren't. You know, it's okay if you're drinking water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you aren't, it's cool. That's the most basic thing you could absolutely be drinking. And if you're drinking basic water, <laughs> I applaud you. Right. That's actually a really good thing. So, Tish, let's talk about what we want to talk about today. What do we want to talk about today? Well, we got this email that I thought was a lovely idea from a listener named Tina who says she would love for us to do a little deep dive into our hobbies. She thought that would be fun. She says mm. particularly photography and gardening, but I think she's mm. kind of open to whatever. So it being summer, it being kind of the season of, I wouldn't call it more free time for those of us working adults, but we at least kind of have a little bit freer of a schedule, perhaps. Um, Hobbies might be fun to think about, like why we like them and why we do what we do. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on hobbies? Sounds like that sounds like a great idea. I think hobbies are important and I really like it whenever people, listeners, reach out and say, hey, here's the thing that you should talk about because we're interested to know. Uh, so mm-hmm. thank you, Tina. We we take all yeah. listener comments under advisement, and this was a good idea. So I'm a big fan of hobbies. I just uh, am not a very good practitioner of them lately, you know? <laughs> Me too. Me too. I, you know, I have a book deadline I think you have a book deadline. And so um, work tends to co-opt a good chunk of my time right now, but that's okay. I'm an adult and a grown-up, and that's just the way life is. And I think uh, hobbies are the first to go by the wayside. However, to be a, you know, kind of to take Irenaeus's idea of being a human being fully alive, 
Um, I think hobbies are a necessity because we need to remember that life is not all about getting things done and working hard, even though those are two valuable things. So to me, that's what hobbies add to our lives. Now, before we jump into hobbies, it I'm reminded that you, at one point in your life, and I don't know if if you explored this much further, but at one point in your life, you were a big fan of studying, reading about, understanding the concept and the notion of play. Is that true, or am I misremembering? Mm-hmm. You are not misremembering. It is very true because um, it has to do with this idea of leisure, this ancient concept of leisure that we see Stoics writing about, we see ancient philosophers uh, writing about. And we all know it, you know, when we see kids that know how to play without even trying, you know, and, and the way they learn the world is through play, the way their state of being is play. And as adults, we mature and, and, in some ways, grow out of that, which is not a bad thing. But leisure is this concept of rested learning. And Mm. um, I won't bore listeners with the whole philosophy behind it, though I will recommend, as I've done many times, I think already Joseph Pieper's uh, legendary work, Leisure, the Basis of Culture. But what he gets into, really ironically, that the Greek word skole is the word for leisure, but it's where we get the word school. And so Mm. the original idea of school was, was being in this posture of restful learning. So it's not just laziness. It's not like just goofing around, binging on Netflix or just, you know, gorging on food without thinking. It's actually engaging in something, but in such a restful state that we're not even aware that we're doing it. And that is like, to me, a primo definition of play, because we're just doing it for the sake of it. We're enjoying it. But we're definitely not just goofing around. We're, I don't know, learning is for lack of a better word. Yeah. Yeah. And this is why, uh, in the words of Virginia Woolf, if you are losing your leisure, look out, you might be losing your soul. Uh, because those things mm. are so closely intertwined, your your leisure and your soul care are are really. I mean, they fit hand in glove, right? I mean, isn't have you yeah. found that to be true? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I feel like less of a person if I don't engage in leisure. And the the thing, the crux of it is, I think in our busy routines and rhythms, we need our moments of leisure even more when we're busy. Like, honestly, I'm talking to myself here. Because I have a book deadline, that should mean that I spend some quality time this next week engaging in my hobbies more than if I had all kinds of just time to mosey about. It's almost like I need that to, I don't want to say perform better as though life is a performance, but, you know, my work is better when I engage in play. That's just, there's no way around it. I think that's how we're made. Yeah, I think that's how everybody is. I mean, even when I'm deep, deep, deep in a work project, I have to take from time to time, you know, a 10 or a 15 minute break and just read something, whether it's read a poem or grab the book that's next to my desk. I always keep fiction and poetry and nonfiction really close to my desk, no matter what kind of work I'm doing. Yeah. Um, Whether it's, you know, branding work or legal work or writing work, I always have something close so that I can take a, a break and and learn a little bit. And I think one of the beauties as we talk about leisure and how it, uh, you know, comes from this, this idea of, uh, or the same root word of school, 
um, how it connects with learning. I, I really like the idea that all of our hobbies, all of our leisure can be a way of exploration and learning the world, learning the world around mm-hmm. us. So I, I, yeah. I, to that point, I mean, have you found that to be true in your own hobbies and your own leisure? Yeah, to me, it feels like adult hobbies are the equivalent of like a toddler playing with blocks or mm. a kid cutting out a fort from a piece of uh, from a cardboard box. You know, that to me is our hobbies. That's what we're doing when we're like, I don't know, paddle boarding or crocheting. You know, we're engaging in the primitive play part of our brain. Um, it just, I think we like creating. I think we like making sense of the world by kind of digging into it. And it's our way of learning without the stress of like a paycheck or for this, for its own sake, you know, like we're learning for its own sake. We're learning how to fish. We're learning how to garden. We're learning how to take pictures just for the beauty of its own sake. It's an end. It's not a means. And that is really delightful and lovely. And I think we don't have a lot of that in our world. Um, and we have to be intentional about it. How about you? Yeah. So, I mean, to get really granular and specific about this, I'll give you an example. Uh, last week, I was out on a work retreat. And I was with my partner and uh, we, my business partner, not my life partner, Amber. Um, <laughs> and we were out on uh, on the river. We were staying on the river. And so we took a half day and we went fishing and we were with a guide. Yes, this is all as shishi as it sounds. Um, and we were with a guide and, you know, my partner doesn't fish as, as much. And so we were fly fishing and he's asking the guide, you know, why are we fishing with these little nymphs? And of course, you know, these are all things that if you fish long enough, you know, and so he's explaining that you fish with these teeny tiny little nymph hooks uh, and nymphs on these little hooks because what it, it, that float below the water because what happens is um, bugs will you know land on the water lay their eggs the eggs will sink down to the bottom they'll eventually hatch that hatch will emerge and it will come up through the water and as it emerges up through the water when it hits the surface it f- flies off and out into the world and hmm. so the fly pattern is meant to mimic uh, the emerging. Uh, nymph from the larva, right? The emerging larva. Hmm. And, uh, and so he's explaining this life cycle of bugs to us. And as he's doing it, it strikes me that Nicholas, my partner is learning a whole new thing about the world around him. This is like a thing that he didn't know before. Um, Mm -hmm. There's no reason for him to know it. It didn't really have any relevance to his life beforehand, but now he's seeing this, this natural life cycle play out and he's learning something about the world and, and the number of metaphors, right. That are embedded in that uh, one lesson about mm-hmm. the cycle of life, the circles of life, about how things sometimes have to be buried before they can resurrect. Um, all of these metaphors that we would tease out uh, were unknown to him two hours before we stepped onto that boat mm-hmm. and and so these are the little things I think that that all of our hobbies should do, whether it's yeah. fly fishing or whether it's, you know, something that's uh, much easier, you know, grabbing a basketball and going down to your local basketball court and connecting with people. Each of these hobbies, all of these things we do are meant to teach us something about ourselves, about other people or about the world around us. And when we engage in those things, we really we just become better people. 
Yeah. Yeah, we do. And the the becoming of better people is an enjoyable task. You know, we're not doing it like with this, okay, now I'm going to sit down and clench my fists and become a better person. We're just doing it through play, through fun. So, which leads me to the question, because I know this is a common, I don't want to say trope, but it is a common hobby, uh, fishing. And Yes. I mean, I guess even more specifically fly, fly fishing and that you would go with work colleagues. Uh, what is it about fishing? Because I know it's a connection point, not only in your work, but in your family life. Like, what is it about fishing that you love so much? I mean, I, part of it's just I live predominantly in my head. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, as weird as right. that is to say, we've talked about the Enneagram before. I'm an Enneagram 5. <laughs> I have a mind palace. I love my mind palace. I love to read. I love to write. These are all things that are predominantly head-oriented. And even to some degree, photography is an expression of head and heart, um, which we can talk more about later. But to some degree, even even the practice of taking photographs is a head exercise Uh, because you're Mm -hmm. framing, you're thinking, you're you're doing these things. When, When you are out on the river, it is a full body exercise. It's, I mean, there's, Mm -hmm. it's not that there's not any head to it. Like you're definitely reading water. You're definitely trying to find fish. Um, You're definitely trying to match patterns. And these are all like quasi intellectual exercises, but they become really second nature uh, the more you do it. And so being out on the water for me, it is a pure, uh, act of physicality and being out in the world, being in nature, um, you know, making the right presentation, uh, feeling the weight of the fish on the other side, feeling the fight of the fish, pulling it in, uh, feeling uh, both the weight and the the slime of the fish in your hand, um, releasing it back into the water, watching it swim off. Like these are all ways of engaging with nature, and and you know. The other thing that I absolutely love about it, regardless of if I'm catching fish, is the birds. I love the birds on the river. Oh, yeah. Um, sure. I almost always see, you know, well, I do always see herons, which um, I write a, a lot about herons. It struck me last week. I don't know why. They're they're really ugly and they're, uh, their call. Have you ever noticed how a heron calls out into the world? I probably have. And it's, I don't think they're ugly, it, but that's interesting. Yeah. It, it's like a massive belch. It's just gross. <laughs> okay. It's like they're hawking loogies okay. all the time. Um, it, <laughs> they, they're kind of like their their call sounds a little bit like their golem, you know, like just constantly coughing oh, sure. and burping out into the world. Um, but they're so majestic when they fly. I mean, they're just sure. amazing when they fly, just all limbs and beauty. Um, but I do. I think they're ugly when they're just like, walking around and belching. Um, we see a lot of bald eagles where I live. And then mm-hmm. we see my favorite bird, uh, which is the kingfisher because they're, you know, small and they're fearless and they dive and they flit and all this. But I also love them because it feels like a connection back to, to the, to the work and the poetry of Hopkins. So I've always, mm-hmm. I've always loved the, the kingfisher. So um, they're just yeah. all these things that you see, when you're out that you wouldn't notice, you know, it's like that art, yeah. that practice of noticing. And you, you wouldn't have that if your hobby was playing video games or sure. whatever, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like fishing is 
like there are things you can do that are proactive, like you said, but it seems rather reactionary. Like you're kind of privy to the conditions or the, the, I don't know, the whims of the fish. Is that right? Or am I mistaken? No, that's probably true. And in, in every way of fishing is different. Um, Mm -hmm. So I don't like fishing on the lake as much. And there's some really simple reasons for that. One, the, the, the noise of the boats, I just don't like it. Um, Mm. I don't like being on a lake and having somebody zoom by at breakneck speed and causing wakes, you know, while I'm fishing. I hate that. It makes me crazy. So, Mm -hmm. but in lake fishing, I think there's probably a lot of truth to what you said in, in fly fishing. There is also a lot of truth to that, but, um, we do a lot of tailwater fishing down here. So the, the, Water flows can be a little bit more constant depending on the time of the year and the water temperature is a lot more constant. Um, but certainly wind, uh, whether the sun is out, those things definitely affect the fishing. And 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 there are days when it just sucks. And that's okay because mm-hmm. you're out. You know, yeah. you're, you're like out on the yeah. water and it's amazing. And then they'll right. have days where there's no reason that the fish should be hitting. Like there was a day... Um, you know, probably, I don't know, eight, seven, eight years ago, I was out with my dad. It was one of the last times we were really able to fly fish together. And, um, it was December. He was up for Christmas. We decided to go out even though it was freezing cold. Um, and we didn't check the weather before we left. It was a little bit overcast, but not bad. And we got out on the water and the temperature plummeted down into the thirties, twenties, twenties, thirties. And then it started icing Mm. and snowing and we were catching so we were the only people on the water. We were catching so many fish, cast after cast. Um, we couldn't hmm. miss. I, I felt like I was on the verge of hypothermia. And finally, I said, Dad, we got to head back. It's it's too cold. I'm dying. And he said, well, I'm glad you said that because I wasn't going to be the sissy. But yeah, I've been wanting to head out for about 30 <laughs> minutes. So so we took mm-hmm. off. And left. But there was no reason that the fish should be biting. But they were. And it was amazing. So you are subject mm-hmm. to the whims of nature. And I think that's there's a lesson to be learned there too. Like we can't control, uh, the earth. We can't control nature. Um, and, and, and man's best attempt to control it have always been folly. So what about you? What's your, what's the hobby that you love and that you learn from? I have a few, but I think the obvious one for me is gardening. And it is a hobby that I've had for about, I don't know, five years now. I've long wanted to be a gardener, but it wasn't until then, you know, roughly five years ago when I decided I'm going to stop wanting to be one and just give it a try. We moved Mm. into this house that we're at almost six years ago, and this was the first time really where we felt like, okay, we are going to be here for a while, for a substantial amount of time, whatever that looks like, you know, for us the longest we had ever lived anywhere up to now was three years. So mm-hmm. anywhere longer than three years was considered lengthy. So, uh, you know, had a plot of land, not a big plot of land, a very small plot of land, actually, but it was ours, you know, and it was something we could do with it and we could yield it. And the woman who had lived here before had been here 45 or so years, and she had this tiny little, um, just a raised bed, you could call it, that was kind of falling apart, but it was there. And I just decided, you know, I am going to embrace this idea that I have long talked about in my writing and really embraced from our living in Turkey, but is still hard to actually 
do and practice, and that's partial solutions. This idea of when mm. things aren't exactly how you want them, um, what can you do even with your conditions rather than just throw in the towel and say, oh, well, I'm not, not even going to bother because it's not exactly how I want it. Um, so I embraced yeah. this idea of partial solutions and just worked with this one dilapidated raised bed just to see what I could do. And it turned out that I really, really enjoyed it. I don't even remember what I grew that first year, but I went to the local gardening center. I looked up some, like we have the central Texas gardener resource from, you know, our local PBS station and watched some of their YouTube videos and just kind of learned what is easy to grow in our climate, tried a few things and it worked. And I had long, long thought that I was a, I had a black thumb. Like I, and I think mm. looking back, it was simply because I, I wasn't willing to be a student of gardening. I wanted to do it on yeah. my terms yeah. and that's just yep. not how gardening works. You know, you nope. can, you can try and try and try to grow cold weather blueberries here, but it's never going to work because we're zone eight B and we don't have the right soil or the climate. So, you know, it, it's not a matter of like what you want. And I think that's one of the things I really like about gardening first and foremost is you have to work with what you're given. Um, yeah. You know, so it's a little bit of like what I was asking you with fishing. It's, it's reactionary, but you still have to be really proactive and there's a lot you can do to make it work. Like soil amendments. I really kind of nerded out on how to make our soil work. Um, you know, went to a local farm, got a bunch of manure, kind of created a, a, a mix for the beds, started a compost bin. And all of this was just in the name of a hobby. It's not because I thought, you know, now we're going to replace 90% of our grocery bill with what we can grow in the backyard. Yeah. That was never my intention. It was more like, let me see if I can do a thing. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was really important for me to do a thing that involved dirt and the analog world. You know, as someone mm. who for my work, spends a large chunk of the time behind a screen. You know, this I have since added teaching. So that adds a 3D component to my work, which has been yeah. a balm. But even yeah. still, the writing component of my work, the podcasting, all that has largely been digital. And I needed something analog. I needed something that involved getting my hands in like real actual dirt that was not, I mean, yeah, I could take a picture of it and show some flowers, but it, it's not displayable really. Like it's, you know, yeah, like yeah. it's not, it's not related to anything I do online and um, it's something timeless. Like in, in our weird world where it feels like the algorithms change every five seconds and, and, you know, what's the latest book what's what's the topic people are talking about there's something truly ancient about gardening like it, it's probably yes. one of along with art it's probably one of humans oldest practices right and so it felt like tapping into something with my ancestors or just with my humanity by growing like there's people have been growing vegetables since the dawn of time and that's really the only way you can get a tomato is by growing it <laughs> there's no like shortcut you know i can't i mean i suppose yeah. one day we'll figure out how to engineer tomatoes the same way we do diamonds in a lab but for now the old fashioned god given way of making tomatoes is growing it and so i just wanted to participate in something timeless and analog and um i think that's still what keeps me going because it's not about saving money on our grocery bill even though Perhaps there is a little bit of that because 
I'm not a large scale farmer. I'm a hobbyist, you know, and we grow a few things every year and it's fun. And that's, that's kind of the chief end for me. Yeah. I think a lot of people to think, uh, you know, that something like gardening is super simple, right? And there's like, what's your learning curve? You put a seed in the dirt and you water it and it grows. And I, man, I think that's hilarious. Uh, you know, Amber is a mm-hmm. huge flower gardener and the stuff that she learns about flower gardening blows my mind. It's stuff I never, ever knew. And I, I know a little bit about gardening. Um, but like when she talks about, you know, propagating flowers and cross pollination and splitting tubers and, you know, all of this, I'm like, holy moly, there is so much to learn. And I think that's one of the things about gardening that, that is super intriguing um, to a lot of people is that like, no matter how much, you know, there's always a different way to do something. There's a new way to amend the soil. There's a new Mm -hmm. way to plant. There's a new way to do your rows. There's a new way to, you know, whatever. Um, and, And it seems to me like it's almost an endless hobby. Is that, is that true? I was just going to say that's one of the benefits I think of gardening as well is because you're never going to like, at least I'm never going to be like an expert that has arrived in gardening. And so this is something I hope I'm doing when I'm like 80 years old and I'm still learning how to do better. Um, I mean, case in point, I don't know much about flower gardening. I really don't, but I want to, like, I've thought about like, I really need to pick Amber's brain because that's not a field that I have dived, divin into (laughs) much, but you know, ask me about, growing cucumbers and tomatoes and blackberries and mint and, and potatoes and onions. And that's, that's what I've learned. That's what I've been a student of the past few years. So I'm just, I'm thrilled at the thought of always learning. And I mean, Kyle, as he's editing, this is probably laughing because he knows my ambitious plans for our tiny plot of land. You know, I want fruit trees and I want to turn our front yard into a full on, you know, Mm-hmm. land for piece of land for crops. And um, who knows, really, you know, I, I love the idea, like the ideal concept of living off of what we grow. But even if we can't get to that, even if it gets to where we're like, eating off of 20, 30% of what we grow, yeah. there's just something so inherently satisfying about that. Like the yeah. other day, I made a potato salad. And the potato salad had um like I want to say 75% of the ingredients that came from our backyard, you know, the potatoes, the onions, all, all the ingredients or the pickles, a lot of it came from my silly handiwork. And there was just something really weirdly satisfying that feels as it should be not saying it's bad and wrong to go to the grocery store, but I don't know. It's like, gosh, this is maybe what my great, great, great grandmother did to some extent. And here I am connecting with her in a, in a small way. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's kind of, I mean, yeah. when you yeah, think yeah. about like, and, and I think there's a different, like, even when I think about that hobby versus something like fly fishing, now I know fly fishing has been around a really long time. We can go back to Ireland and we can find it, you know, uh, 300 <laughs> years ago. I get it. Um, but thinking about something like, that versus photography or versus fly fishing. There's a timeless quality to it. Um, yeah. That, that really like brings something out primal in you that is just a little bit different than, you know, using modern implements to do modern, you know, to do old things in modern ways. 
Yeah. Yeah. And the beauty of it is, is hopefully in 50 years, if I'm still doing it, it's going to be largely the same concepts, you know, it's not going to change that much. Um, before, like, I want to ask you about another hobby, um, which you've already alluded to. But before we get to that, I, I have a really practical question. Um, that might be just such a duh thing to ask. But do you guys eat the fish you catch? Uh, not really. I mean, we, we do a lot of catch okay. and release. Um, trout, I mean, some people will disagree with me on this, but trout are pretty bland tasting. And so they really taste like what you season them to taste like. And and also mm. there's some technical things like slot limits, like they have to be a certain size to keep. And where we fish is mostly catch and release anyway. And, and so, yeah, we okay. don't eat a lot of the fish we catch. Sometimes we do, but not often. Yeah. Well, that was going to be my question. Like, does Amber gut the fish or do you gut the fish or whatever? Um no, but Isaac will. He he absolutely will. I I just it just I don't know. Okay. You you don't get enough. Yeah. You know, unless you're crappie fishing or catfishing or something, you, you typically don't get enough to like really make a whole meal yeah. out of. Although okay. some people do it, and we'll probably that, that do was it. My guess at some point this fall, but we'll see. Cool. Yeah. All right. So you you've alluded to photography we all know well we all know um if anyone follows you on instagram or is a reader of your newsletter we know that you are super into photography so how did you get into that and why do you like it as much as you do um yeah that's a great question um i don't really know why i originally got into it my dad had this old pentax camera um and i as a kid, I just loved turning the dials. I mean, I think that was more than anything. I just like turning the dials and it was almost magic to me how you could take something and push a button and then, you know, back in those days, take it to the uh, Walmart and hand them a roll of film and then you mm-hmm. get back images. Like that was magic to me. Um, and so I think there was something about that sort of just magicalness about it, but also, I think it was just the, the notion that you can capture a moment in time and that capturing that moment in time could be an expression of some story. Uh, so, you know, whether that's the stories of me sleeping, you know, on the stairwell when I was eight years old at my grandparents' house, um, or whether that's, you know, the the story of a, you know, Christmas opening presents or, or whatever that is. I think that always kind of intrigued me. And then when I was uh, in college, and I had dinked around a little bit with with photography in my high school years, and but when I was in college, um, I kind of was breezing through fat school pretty pretty quickly, and it occurred to me that I was going to graduate really quickly, and that I needed to slow down because I didn't know mm-hmm. exactly what I was going to do with my life, and so. Um, and I had come in with some, with some course credit and I'd clipped some stuff. And then I, I kind of thought of school as a challenge. So I started like loading up on hours just to see like what my breaking point was, which is insane. Um, but nobody's ever accused me. That of sounds insane. like a very five so, thing, by the way. It totally was. It was like, oh, if 16 hours yeah. is good, let's try 18. And then I would try 19 and then I would try 21. Right. Um, so there is a natural uh, break, break point. It's around 22 hours a semester. It's mm-hmm. very difficult. Um, but I came out of that semester, the 22 hour semester and I needed a break. Um, and so Mm -hmm. I was with, I was at Christmas and my aunt at the time, um, was a photographer. She's an artist and a photographer and, uh, Mm -hmm. Baker and just does amazing, just amazing artistic work. 
And I was looking at some of her photographs and I just was thought, man, I would love to be able to do that, to like learn how to develop, to learn how to frame, to learn how to do all these things. And so um, I signed up for a photography class uh, my sophomore year and I just absolutely fell in love with it. And I, and the truth is I fell in love with mm. the dark room because of the ways you can sort of take, uh, take a photo and, and even in the old analog ways, like manipulate the light and the shadows. Mm. Um, and, and I, mm. there was something about that that was just so amazing to me. And, and in that process, I fell in love with some great photographers um, who knew right. really how to tell stories. And, um, and so it just was one of those things that had just caught my attention at the right time. I was at the right place at the right time. So I bought this camera yeah. and I loved it. It was like sort of a mon- modern uh, take on there was this this old Pentax camera called the Pentax K1000. And um, there was a, they released a, a new version of it when I was in college. I can't remember what it was a K. They, they still use the K, you know, signature for it. And I had that camera um, through the rest of my junior year, all of my senior year of college. And then the summer before I got married, it got stolen out of my car. Oh man. Yeah. And then Amber and I got married and we were super poor and we didn't have enough money to replace it. And so I just decided that when I had enough money, I was going to buy a camera and start taking photographs again. And Mm -hmm. um, so I just saved up and like, probably 10 years in, I got a really nice camera and started taking photographs and the rest is the rest. So um, Mm. I love photography for some of the same reasons I love fly fishing, um, but also for some very different reasons. But the, the primary reason that I love photography um, is that it's just a good storytelling device. Like if you do it right, Mm -hmm you can tell a story with a camera. Um, and mm-hmm. I, you know, I hope, and, and you can do it with words and images, right? Like you can do, you can do both. Like you can combine words and images to really make some creative stuff, some good, beautiful stuff. But, but also if you do it right, you know, the images should almost stand on their own as a story. Uh, and, and, that's the kind of thing that I love to do is try to create uh, a story that stand on it stands on its own without any imagery, without any words. And so like, if you Mm -hmm. go look at my Instagram feed, like that's my hope. My hope is that you would look at that and Mm. you could create from most of those images, some kind of story. You could piece together some kind of Mm. kind of story without ever looking at the image. So that's the primary reason I love it. Um, In addition to things like light and shadow and, and, uh, learning to look for the unexpected and paying attention all those things. The other thing I love it though is the same reason I love fly fishing, which is like it is, those are the two hobbies that I have not figured out a way to make money doing. And I'm really, <laughs> right. really happy about that. Like I played guitar and then I figured out how to make yeah. money playing guitar. I wrote and then I figured out how to make money writing. Um, and you think that yeah. that's like a really good thing. And and it is to some degree. I still love writing for pay. I still love playing guitar when I get paid. Um, but there's something about the freedom to say, like, I'm going to explore this. I'm going to do this. I'm never going to make any money at it. 
and that's cool. Yeah. I'm fine with that. Yeah. So uh, that that's that's one of the big reasons I love photography is like I'm not going to monetize it. Even if I could, I wouldn't. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's something about the beauty of being an amateur in in the right sense of that word. Yeah, totally. And I mean, if if um, you know, one day I were to 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 die, and somebody's like, "Oh, his photographs are amazing. They printed a book. That'd be fine." I mean, if somebody saw me as a professional photographer, sure. that'd be fine. But I'm not. Um, yeah. So there's there's something about that about what you said, like intentional uh, intentional amateur status that's really amazing you know we've talked on this podcast before about vivian Mayer, um and i i have one of her mm-hmm. books i love her as a photographer she was a nanny and um she took these stunning street photographs in new york city and her work was largely undiscovered until after her death and like well after mm-hmm. her death um and, wow. and there's something about that that just like she was allowed to exist in the world in a way um, that was unhindered and allowed her to like, you know, take the uh, photographs that she wanted to take. And they're just like amazing images, amazing street images. And nobody mm. thought she was anything other than just a person walking around with a camera. And they just ignored her, sure. uh, which is why her images are so amazing. You know, there's something that's a whole other topic that I've been thinking about. Like, what does it mean to be a fill in the blank? Like, whatever it is, a writer. Um, and these weird expectations that come with that. Like, um, you know, you're going to have an opinion about X, Y, or Z. Well, maybe you're just not, and you don't want to carry that burden with the, you know, the hat that comes with, you know, whatever job that is or whatever title you bear. Um, and staying at amateur status means you you have the freedom to just be a person first. I mean, and I guess what I'm arguing is that even when we wear that hat professionally, we're still a person first. Um, but I think people at least give you a lot more grace and permission in that regard with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think. And yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think too, like when you look at, and we'll, we'll provide some, some links to Mayor's work in the, um, mm-hmm in the show notes. Mm-hmm. But I mean, even when you look at it, it's like, because she was, uh, this sort of amateur, uh, sh- she was able to get away with stuff, right? People didn't pose for her. People <laughs> didn't stop. And like, what are you going to do with this photo? Right. They, they like gave her their true <laughs> selves, uh, because right. there was no thought, right. you know, that, that she was trying to exploit them too, which is, and she wasn't trying to exploit mm-hmm. them. That's the beautiful thing about it. Right. Yeah. Very true. So, so I guess Tish, that leads us to this point, which is like we should be doing hobbies. We should be engaged in leisure. Right. And what if we're not? Like, what are some ways we can say mm-hmm. this week we are going to, by golly, get out there and engage in leisure? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I I heard a hint of something in Tina's email. Uh, I could be wrong, but there was a little bit of a hint of like, I would like to participate in these hobbies too. I would love to know first steps of like how to engage in them. And if that is the case, I think the best bet whenever it's, if you realize you're not engaging in a hobby, you need a hobby to try something and to be a learner, like take on a learner status. Don't just, you know, do what I thought 
I should do as a gardener for all those years and just like put something in the ground and see if it works. Actually kind of enjoy the process of being a student of it, you know? So like hop on YouTube, learn about, you know, I I don't know, like uh, uh, baking. Like you, you want to, that's another one of my hobbies, actually learn a thing or two about the science and the alchemy of baking or, um, about what different ingredients do and why you need them and and enjoy just that part of it. And not just the end result. I think there's something really sweet about the process that, um, makes a hobby what it is, especially when you're an amateur, like the end result is almost like an afterthought in some ways, you know? Yeah. 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 No, I think that's. So true and so phenomenal. And I would say, add, I would add to that. Don't just jump on YouTube, buy books. Yeah, right. Buy oh, for sure. Topic, for sure. Man. Grab the, grab <laughs> yeah. the books, pay, yeah. pay the people who are the experts in the mm-hmm. field to be the experts in the field. Because again, as we've talked about time and time again, like when somebody knows a lot and you're going to learn from them, like we should be paying them for that. Uh, we should yeah, pay for for true. for subject matter expertise of people. So buy their books, buy their books, buy their books. And I would also add, um, along with just embracing a learner posture, don't wait until you've got all your ducks in a row before starting. Meaning, don't wait to like learn how to sew whenever the house is clean because the house isn't going to be perfectly clean. Like you just got to make time for your hobbies. You've got to just say, yeah, even though there's a lot of things I could get done on this Saturday afternoon, I'm going to just not get those things done. And instead I'm going to play and give yourself permission. Like we, we let our kids do that. I mean, how often do we let kids just run out and play, even though their room is still messy? Um, Give yourself permission to do that too. Mm Mm-hmm. That's right. And as, you know, Shauna talked about that when we interviewed her for the podcast, one of the things she said yeah. is like, I set aside time to write uh, whether or not the house is clean, whether or not the dishes are done. Um, and sometimes that's her professional that's right. writing, but sometimes it's not too. So um, yeah, you have to set aside that time. So be diligent, mm-hmm. buy the books, set aside the time, watch the YouTube videos. Yeah. Do your hobby, Tina. That's right. Do your hobby. That's one of our new slogans. Do your hobby, <laughs> Tina. Do your hobby, Tina. Um, yeah. And and I would also say, like, if you don't even know what to do, like, if you're thinking, I need a hobby, I don't even know what I like. Um, that's relatable, because I think sometimes when we're in the thick of life, it's, it's easy to forget um, that we're f- full people with interests besides our work and parenting. Um, just try something. Like, I have a paint by number kit that I pull out every, like, honestly, every few months. It's going to take me ages. I'm going to be an empty nester by the time I finish this dumb paint by number. But just play around. Like, just try a thing. Don't invest too much money in the initial step. Like, see what you think. And if you hate it, that's okay. It's just a hobby. Yeah. So just dabble. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So those that's our advice for those of you who are wanting to take up a hobby. It's our words on our hobbies. And yep. if you have any other hobby questions, feel free to shoot us an email yeah. and we'll answer all, all hobby questions uh, that you might have. Yeah, it's a fun topic. So that, yeah. that brings us to this though, uh, Tish, mm-hmm. which may or may not be a hobby. What is one thing that is bringing you uh, beauty in your life right now? I would say this is a hobby because um, it involves being with my family. So we started, well, this past week um, was D-Day right? The anniversary of D-Day. And mm-hmm. so it just so happened that we were also watching, re-watching, me for the second time, uh, Band of Brothers on HBO. 
Mm. So it's a 10-part miniseries that is 21 years old now. So this is not new. I can't believe it's that old. Um, it's crazy. But it is a phenomenal series about uh, this – I'm the worst with the military terms – Easy Company, which was a – I don't know. Are they a troop? Are they a battalion or a platoon of paratroopers? And it's a band of brothers is what they are. It's it's a band of brothers who parachuted into France on D-Day to clear the way for basically the allied forces to defeat the Nazis. It's as simple as that, but it's a very great just it's a great story about grit, about character, about friendships, about war and the awfulness of it, but also just the what it means to be side by side with somebody you've grown to love. And um, it's a fantastic series. It's very violent, which is kind of like the pot calling itself black. I mean, it's about World War II. So fingers are going to get blown off and there's going to be blood. Um, and so don't be surprised by that. So your mileage may vary when it comes to it being kid friendly. My kids are not squeamish and they're also a little bit on the older side. So, so far, so good. The last episode, if I remember correctly, has a, a brief scene that we will try and fast forward through. But otherwise, it's it's almost one of those like you need to watch kind of shows because it really tells the story well of World War II, especially in light of Agreed. the fact that most of those those veterans have now passed on. Um, so it's important viewing and it's just an enjoyable series. Have You've seen it, right? Agreed. Yeah, it's amazing. I I love it. Yeah. And my favorite episode yeah. is the episode with the medic about the medic. Oh, so, yeah, 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 yeah. Oof, for those of you good. who've seen it, yeah, yeah, know, you you know you know, you know. That a little bit about my personality right now. Um, that's great. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Well, I will yeah. share that I yes, am not going to share a book. I'm not going to share uh, a, a you know TV show or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I am simply going to say that. I found beauty on the river last week. I took a photo of a fish. We will place that fish in the show notes. Yeah. And this is where I found beauty this week. Um, I would typically say it was in some sort of, you know, work of humanities, but uh, this week it was in the works of nature. So. Yeah. Well done. I like that you did that. I kind of wish I did that now. (laughs) But. uh, Well. No, it's true. You can do it next week. I saw the photo. It's beautiful. I will do take that a next fo- week. Take a yeah. photo of the tom- of the tomato or something next week. Seriously, there is a really cool tomato that I can take a photo of because it grew around a stick, and so we saved right. it before it like swallowed up the stick. So I'll I'll, I'll so take there you a photo go. Of that I want to see week. it. I want to see it. All right. <laughs> Okay, it's time to wrap up this chat. You can find this episode as well as all episodes at adrinkwithafriend.com. And like we usually tell you, if you like what we're doing here, you can help us keep the show going by picking up the next round of drinks. You can be like our dear friend, Kim. I'm going to read you what Kim said when she chipped in for a couple cups of coffee. She says, I listen to the show, meaning a drink with a friend on my long Saturday runs. I sometimes talk back. I always come home and share or text or email anyone who will listen about something you shared that is worth spreading. Thanks for your compelling and thoughtful podcast. And thank you, Kim, for supporting what we do and for listening and for talking back to us when you run. I would love to know what you say. Yes. Um, Thanks, Kim. <laughs> Be like Kim. Yeah. 
be like Kim. So I'll put a link in the show notes of how you can support the show at the cost of a cup of coffee or a pint. Uh, you can find me and how to connect with me, especially via my Substack newsletter at tishoxenwriter.com. Seth, how about you? They can find me at Seth Haynes, that's with an I, dot substack.com. All right. Those links will also be in the show notes. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. Editing is by Kyle Oxenwriter. I'm Tish Oxenwriter with Seth Haynes, and we'll be back here again with you soon. Thanks for listening.